Well, networking is a confusing category. Most consumers, most customers really don't understand all the different jargon and highly technical specifications for the equipment that runs their network. And so we knew really early on we needed to do things a little bit differently. Like we had to think about and articulate what problem we were out there to solve and what we were doing to fix it for customers. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. John. Andrew. Question. What would you say is one of the most essential pieces of technology in the modern era that no one can do without? I mean, I think for sure it's one of those sort of neck massagers they sort of put on and kind of gives you like a shiatsu on like your upper neck. Correct. I can't live without that. Correct. But what if on those shiatsu massagers, you were able to somehow control it wirelessly? I mean, it would have to be fast because I need a lot of neck massaging. And also it would have to be reliable because that thing can't go down. And it would need to be reachable in any area of your home, right? I mean, you don't want to have a powerful room where it's easy to access and you go into the bedroom and it's not working anymore. Fair. And listen, what if I have a big house? What happens then? Even worse or even better in some cases. Well, John, we've got what may very well be the greatest guest in the history of the show. It is our most accomplished guest for sure. We've guests who's like, oh, look at my YouTube channel. I have a few million subscribers. Our guest laughs at that. <laughs> he does. He does. Listen, I would say, and I say this with confidence, the founder of the company to usher in the era of mesh networking to the average consumer out there. It is Mr. Nick Weaver of Eero. Nick, how are you doing, sir? Hey, guys. Great to be here with you. Nick, you can send that intro if you want to cut it, send it to your parents. That's usually what a lot of our guests choose to do. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Nick, as I said, CEO and founder of Eero for, I feel like if you listen to this show, you are probably someone who's aware of what Eero is. But if for some reason you're not, I was going through my archives because I remember very clearly, and this is one of the things that makes me feel so old. I remember very clearly pre-ordering the original Eero, having it come in. I feel like it was, Correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, but I feel like it was one of those, like, it might not have been Kickstarter, but it was like one of those where, like, you pre-order to kind of help make the product a reality. Is that right? Yeah, we did a pre-order in February of 2015. That was when we announced the product, the company, and got to work turning that vision into reality. Okay. And I was looking at my YouTube history, Search Eero. And it was like, wait a minute, this video of the first Eero went out in February of 2016, almost eight years ago. I still feel like in my brain, mesh networking in the home still feels so new, but I, it's hard to believe it's been eight years. And Eero was founded in 2014. So for you, it's been almost a decade. Yeah. In January, it'll be 10 years building Eero. Personally. And again, we're still some hard hitting questions here, but I do want to thank you. I was spending more time than a human being should managing the network at my parents' house. It was becoming close to a full-time job. <laughs> About four years ago, set up with an Eero system, and how my dad, who believes wireless internet is magic, can take care of it all from his phone, which has been incredible for my time. 
And I know that kind of plays into the original kind of founding vision of your. I actually had a chance to sort of hear some things you had to say with, with Qualcomm, but I'd love to hear a little bit about what the vision was of starting this company. Were you gearing towards acquisition? Was it thinking IPO? Were you thinking like, I should make something that works? And I hope this company doesn't fail. What was the vision here? Because we've had guests that are successful, but we have what you've done is very rarefied air in, in the business world. When we started the company, the experience with your dad having to manage a network remotely, like that was a pain point. Myself, my two co-founders, we were all just painfully familiar with what it takes to keep technology working, not just in our homes, but in all of our friends and family. And so when you roll back the clock growing up, I helped get friends, family, neighbors, like people connected to the internet and started installing some of those first routers, you know, getting people connected to the internet initially was getting a CD from Blockbuster and helping them set up a dial-up connection. And then folks started getting DSL, started getting cable, and I'd set up wired networks because you couldn't get Wi-Fi yet. That just was not a thing. And when Wi-Fi started to come out, those first-generation networks, I'd set up a wireless router, help them get connected, but I was local. So when people had problems, I could just go over to their house and see what the issue was, update software, make changes, reset everything. How did you get that area of expertise? Like, how did you get to that point? It was just a lot of experimenting and learning, like got stuff up and running in our own home. We had somebody run some Ethernet cable, I remember, and learned how to terminate Ethernet connectors and kind of what boxes to buy and plug in and set things up. It was more of like integration than really developing anything. And then just if you're curious and like to learn, just kept teaching myself more and more. How horrible were your Thanksgivings getting cornered by family members? And were you just like, <laughs> were you just in a corner be like, my thing doesn't work, fix it. So that was the, the difference. Like back then, the internet was a nice to have. It wasn't a must have. It wasn't like somebody's phone line and message machine. If your voicemail wasn't working or your answering machine wasn't working, that was a much bigger deal than not having the internet work. Like people were checking their emails once a week, a couple times a week. It wasn't like today where you're checking it, like it feels like every waking moment. But where things started to get more challenging on solving issues for people was I grew up in Chicago. I came out to the West Coast for college, and now I'm 2,500 miles away, and people are calling me saying, like, hey, stuff's not working, and I couldn't exactly go over there. So my first fix for all of this was I'd get all the networking gear, and I'd plug it into a surge protector, and I'd write internet reset switch on it, and people could go hit that button. It would take down everything. They could have it be unpowered for a minute or two and then turn it back on. And most of the time that fixed issues. And so that was like the very beginning of making it easy for at least all those folks to fix the internet and have it be self-service. My my next automation is I'd get one of those rotary timers, you know, the ones that start coming out like this time of year to, for people's Christmas trees. And I'd plug the surge protector into that and it would turn everything off at like one, two in the morning and just reboot every night. And that fixed a lot of problems too. 
And at what point did this home help and family help turn into sort of the nexus for a business idea? So when I was in college too, I got to manage part of the campus network. And so what was really interesting is we had all of these tools and analytics. We should say it was the Berkeley network, right? I mean, we're not not talking small local network. It was the Stanford network. Stanford network, excuse me. Yeah. And we got access to all these different tools and analytics, and you could actually start seeing patterns about what was causing problems, and you could work towards fixing those issues. And with residential networks, right, like just rebooting it every night, you don't start capturing the analytics to help you make the experience and the product better. So at that time, it was more just an interest of mine. And before starting Eero, I was at a venture capital firm and we backed companies like Roku and Dropcam. And you could see that there was starting to become a market for something much better because all of these mainstream consumer experiences were emerging. Content over the internet, security systems that required a super reliable internet connection. And that was back in 2013, 2012. And it really seemed like, hey, this was going to go from early adopter to mainstream fairly quickly. What did you think you were going to do when you were first year of college or in high school? Like, what were you, what did you, if someone had asked you what you were going to be when you grew up, what was your answer? I was always interested in entrepreneurship and businesses. And really, if you asked me in college, like, I was there to like learn and explore a, d- a bunch of different things. So, On campus, I ran the Stanford student store. We sold t-shirts and apparel, but you learned how to like hire people, train them, run a business, and it was all on your shoulders. And when I did that, I was kind of hooked. I had summer internships though, like in consulting. And my first job out of college, I was in consulting, but I didn't have that feeling of ownership you have when you're running a company and responsible for a team, that was always missing. I always had really smart people around and I knew that was something I really valued, but I wasn't that deliberate. It was more about learning. I want to talk about the hardware for a minute. What do mesh routers do? A home Wi-Fi system or a mesh system, the key premise is to deliver really fast and reliable Wi-Fi. You need to have more than one router if you're going to get really great speeds throughout your home. And so what a mesh system does is it allows all of those different units that you put in. So say you put three Eero devices throughout your home. We have a mesh protocol that allows all those Eeros to talk to each other wirelessly and form a link so that they can then extend the coverage of your Wi-Fi network throughout your entire home. And then Eero specifically has something called TrueMesh. How does that work differently than maybe your more traditional mesh? Yeah, so TrueMesh has been the foundation of Eero systems since the very beginning. What TrueMesh allows Eero devices to do is they communicate with each other over every available link or frequency. So if you take, say, our latest product, the Eero Max 7, we are establishing links between the Eeros over... 2.4 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz, 6 gigahertz, and over the wired Ethernet links. 
And on a packet-by-packet basis, we are determining the optimal path through the Eero system to get to that end device with the lowest latency and fastest speed. So that's what TrueMesh does. Many other competitive products will just say, hey, all the devices on the system are going to broadcast over this frequency, and then we'll talk to devices on this other frequency. And it's hard-coded and dedicated, and it's not dynamic. But the challenge is, is that the RF layout in your house changes throughout the day, depending on how doors close, if there's interference, like what's going on at your neighbor's house. And so we wanted to have a network that was self-healing, incredibly reliable. And that means we had to go build this technology that is true mesh to make everything dynamic and very resilient. Everyone who I know who has started a company did not start a hardware company. They started a service company, a software company. Hardware is something completely, completely different. You're not just offering a service or a piece of software, you know, a login box, login and password. And you're building something tangible that you're hoping people will purchase, that you have to iterate on, make sure it works. Can you kind of go over that process? That had to be an incredible challenge. When we started the company, we actually initially set out to see if we could do it with just software. It could be something that you could go put on your existing router. And what became really clear over the first, call it, few months when we had actually started the company was just the amount of software we'd have to write to work across the huge diversity of existing routers. So we kind of came to the conclusion that we wanted to write really great software and go really deep and make it reliable and add features and capabilities. But to have that level of focus, you have to cut a few things out. And the moment you try to go run software on lots of different processors and different architectures with different system requirements, you end up running a lot of software just to make it go work on many different platforms. And we quickly came to the conclusion that Because of that, and also a big focus of Eero has always been on design and making our devices something that people are proud to put out in the open. Because with RF, having the device out in the open fundamentally changes the experience that customers have. If it's out on a table versus behind a couch, you're just going to get much better performance. And it was really those two things where it became clear, like, we're going to have to go actually build our own devices, too. And none of us had experience in that. So it was kind of trial by fire for a couple of years as we taught ourselves how to, and most importantly, like, hired the right people with expertise and kept growing the team as we kept learning how to build and ship millions of euros. How quickly did you go from the let's build software to let's build hardware? If you say, you know, stuff really got started in call it January of 14, me and my co-founders were really, you know, experimenting with different approaches. By the summer, it had become pretty clear. So call it four or five, six months, it'd become pretty clear that like we really needed to build our own device to really bring our product vision into reality. 
I think we're living in kind of the golden age of entrepreneurship right now. There's an idea and, and new entrepreneurs being born every day, but there's not that many that have, can achieve long-term success. They have an idea for a company, idea for a product or software, whatever it might be. And the idea is good, but the execution is where we lose a lot of great potential founders. How did you guys succeed? Not to say where others have failed, but how are you guys able to find success in a really hard sphere where really not only was it crowded, there were other options out there, but finding a very unique approach and then bringing that approach to market? First and foremost, the problem we set out to go solve, like we wanted to make connectivity in people's homes just work. Like that's something that is very accessible and like tangible to the the team, the early team you're recruiting. So I think we owe most of our success to hiring the right people who all believed in the vision, were obsessed with solving this problem, not just for themselves, but for their friends and their families as well. And I think that's one of the big reasons why like so many folks who are at Euro have been here for like such a long time. We're all still really committed to solving this problem for our friends, for our, our family. And then in terms of like, how do you go execute? It all came down to like, we got very lucky with some of the really talented individuals we brought on the team who brought a level of expertise and just experience building and shipping really great products to customers. People, I imagine, look at the company now, but don't always see the bricks on the road, you know, prior. Was there ever a time where you didn't think you guys were going to make it? Of course. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't know a single startup story or journey where that's not something that doesn't come up. Every company has moments where you've got an existential crisis and you got to push through and try to find a way to solve it. Can you tell us if you're able to some of those times where things were tough, you didn't know if you're going to make it through and then what ultimately ended up sort of pushing you guys, you know, when you could have teetered either way, pushed you guys on the successful side? I mean, just those early days, like when we were gearing up for that pre-order for the company, the pre-order didn't go well like time to close up the doors. Like we needed the pre-order to go well so that we could go raise that next round of financing to go execute and really go build the product and build it in, in quantities where we could get it out to tens of thousands of customers. And there are a lot of milestones like along the way, whether it's shipping your next generation or being able to expand with a new retailer. You know, each and every year, I think there was probably a really important milestone that was in front of us where if that didn't go the way we needed it to go, it was probably the end of the road. John, did you pre-order? Do you remember yeah, yeah. the when Eero first? Okay. Absolutely. So I wanted to touch on that because you mentioned the pre-orders and I feel like a lot of new hardware startups kind of missed the mark because they focus on the hardware, even though that's the product, right? And Eero had this amazing launch video that it didn't focus on the box so much as the experience, which any seasoned business owner, especially in sales, will tell you, you need to sell the feeling, not the product. And so I wanted to just see if you can kind of tell us about that process of gearing up for the pre-order 
and how that initial video came to be. And I feel like someone like me, anytime a new Wi-Fi version or a new router for my favorite company or whatever would come out, I would be on Amazon or Best Buy ordering that right away. And even someone like me was unfamiliar with mesh networking. So what was it like to know on your end, this is the better way to do this, but no, number one, most people aren't going to understand this. And number two, more importantly, I still feel like even today, most people just, they order their internet, they get the box from whatever their cable provider or whatever it is, and that's it. They're good. They're done. They never buy anything. What was it like to overcome those things and also put together that launch video that I thought was fantastic? Well, networking is a confusing category. Most consumers, most customers really don't understand all the different jargon and highly technical specifications for the equipment that runs their network. And so we knew really early on we needed to do things a little bit differently. Like we had to think about and articulate what problem we were out there to solve and what we were doing to fix it for customers. So our head of marketing, Sean, he was our the second person to join the team. And me and him spent a ton of time thinking about what's the right way to frame the problem we're solving. How do we talk about it to customers? Like we just went around and around and around and like wrote it out, tore it up, started all over again just to make sure stuff was really clear. And I think one of the most important things we landed on was, yes, mesh had been applied in a bunch of different circumstances, but never in a mainstream consumer product. And you go watch that early launch video, like all of our framing was around, it's not just a router, it's a Wi-Fi system. And we were incredibly focused on creating and continuing to build that category for customers. So it was all around category definition. And the way we looked at the video was that that was our best opportunity to articulate this new category and help customers really understand what problem Eero was solving and how we were doing it. I remember going back and forth on just like the motion graphics, like you see in the video, like walking through the hallway and you have that blue glimmer in different rooms as the mesh network and starts working. We went through every little detail about how we talked about the product and how we showed it to all of those early customers, just so we could help them understand this really complicated product category. And again, what we were going to do differently. Obviously, Wi-Fi moves, moves fast. I mentioned to folks that we were coming to, to talk with you and talking about Wi-Fi 7. They're like, didn't Wi-Fi 6 just come out? I think for those that aren't in the space, and Wi-Fi 6 it wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. I think 6E is also still a term people are getting familiar with as it you know, just finally made its way into you know, the iPhones of the world. How do you guys stay ahead of the curve? <laughs> like, how, how do you stay ahead of what's happening, especially before standards are standardized and you're kind of just, I imagine, guessing at what things are going to be? A lot of that has just been building the right, call it like delivery mechanism within the company. Like when we started, we had one hardware team. We had one team that was working on the product. And then as soon as it launches, that same team's responsible for 
looking at what's going on in the field and making sure we're costing down components or swapping in different types of components so that we can maintain supply. And so those are the teams and capabilities that over the course of 10 years, you can start having more specialized teams and then you can have more of them. And so a big thing that we've built over really the last five or six years is just starting to augment the team with more and more capacity so that we can have more concurrent programs and deliver more devices each year. So that may be a long way of saying like, yeah, at a certain point, you've got to have enough capacity so that you can develop a more comprehensive product portfolio. And then as the standards evolve, like you're in a position to update the portfolio to work with that, that latest standard. You just teed up my next question perfectly, adding capacity. Talk to us about how you guys went from independent company to selling to Amazon. I assume Amazon buying the company has been a big help in adding that capacity that you just mentioned. And was acquisition always the goal when you started or were you thinking IPO at some point? When we started the company, our goal was to build a long-term enduring company, long-term and enduring brand. And joining Amazon, the goal is never to necessarily IPO or sell. The goal for us was always build great products, build a great business and build something enduring. And partnering with Amazon was just a way to accelerate that. And it's for me, for the Eero team, it's been a great experience. Next year, I hit that event horizon where in February, I will have been running Eero as a part of Amazon longer than pre-acquisition. So you just kind of blink and it's been almost five years since we got acquired. How's that been? There's a learning curve, totally different processes, people, and you spend your first year or two figuring that out. But in general, we've gotten a lot of resources to expand and grow the business and grow the team. When we got acquired, we're in North America, so US and Canada, and we now sell products in, I think, 22 countries. So just being able to expand to sell our products and deliver the Eero experience to more and more customers globally, that's been really fun. And something where, yeah, we've learned a lot from our colleagues and counterparts throughout Amazon. How do you see the wireless space changing? not just Eero as a company, but the wireless space as a whole. How do you see that changing over the next five to, to 10 years? You mean Wi-Fi in particular? Well, I mean, in particular, yeah. Like, I mean, do you see that being more pervasive in, in automobiles? Is it just speeds and throughput increase? Or is there something that maybe we, we're not seeing that you can sort of see coming? We've seen a big increase in speeds. We've seen a change in what spectrum's available. So with Wi-Fi 6E, that opened up brand new spectrum for Wi-Fi devices, so six gigahertz. And so we've just added a lot of capacity. Where you typically have problems is in 2.4 gigahertz, where there's not a lot of spectrum. There's a ton of interference. 2.4 gets through walls really well. And so you're way more likely to get interference from your neighbors on 2.4. And in five gigahertz, six gigahertz, it doesn't propagate as well, but you've got more bandwidth. And so that just means you need 
more access points, more devices broadcasting. So your phones, laptops, tablets are always closer to an access point. So it's been great to see increase in spectrum, increase in speed. I think we're going to continue to see an increase in focus on reliability and taking a bunch of technologies from the you know cellular space and applying them into Wi-Fi for more granular management and control of spectrum allocation for more reliable networks. Do you see the mobile space, you know, mobile data, 5G networks, and as, as we move towards more advanced 5G technologies, taking over some of the heavy lifting for home wireless, or do you see them sort of being more, more separate entities? Or maybe even Eros with 5G in them as opposed to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, 5G is typically operating in licensed spectrum. And so I think that'll be a great link into people's homes. So we're starting to see many, many more customers starting to use 5G internet for their home internet. That's one piece. Customers also want more reliable internet. So I think we'll start seeing more folks with, call it multi-WAN, multiple connections into their home. So if one goes down, there's another one that's available. But having 5G be the connectivity choice for all the different devices in your house, that just becomes a question of economics and a full 5G modem and everything required to run that. Like you're talking in the ballpark of like a hundred plus dollars, whereas you can put, whether it's thread or Wi-Fi, you can put a low power wireless chip into a device for a buck or two. So given just cost, you can probably outfit almost every device in your home with a fairly high performance Wi-Fi connection for the cost of putting 5G in one or two devices. I want to ask you about your fan base because I want to, from from an outsider perspective, I almost feel like that was the backbone of bringing you guys to the forefront of Mesh. So first, could you talk about that fan base? Because you, you have an active one. I've never seen a router company with such an active subreddit, for example, And then follow-up question on that would be, was there a concern when selling to Amazon that it would affect how you were perceived by that fan base? We've always been pretty focused on talking to our customers. So whether it's corresponding online or taking direct calls, that's been something I, I, I always love doing. Like we have a customer who's having a big problem. Like I go do house visits still. So that's been something... That's just been part of our our DNA and all of us get a lot of energy from it. What's funny though, is you'll get all these requests from customers and there's never a shortage of good ideas. It's just capacity on the team to like go get them done. So we've got features that we're shipping now that have been in the queue for like six or seven years. It was just never the like highest priority, but you know, finally there's something that makes that feature that capability even more important and it you know jumps to the top of the queue. And in terms of addressing your other part of your question like concerns of what would happen after we got acquired. I don't think there is anything unique there between Eero and Amazon anytime a company goes through some sort of transaction whether it's a IPO or M&A like there is always fear and I think for good reason customers are skeptical that things are going to change and it was important for me, important for the rest of the team. You just have to 
put your heads down and just like keep doing the work, keep being focused on delivering great products, being respectful of your customers, asking them for input, being responsive to issues. So for us, we knew there was going to be a a microscope on us and we had to keep earning like the trust of our customers each and every day. And I think over the last four, almost five years, the team's done a great job of just continuing to do great work. When you announced the acquisition, how did your employees respond? Pretty similarly to our to our customers. It's a big change for the team. You've got new ownership structure. There's, you know, some new processes you gotta learn about and go through. But I think everybody was primarily looked at this as a opportunity to be able to ship heroes into more and more places and bring that experience to customers all over the world. So Again, we had to keep our heads down and focus on the things that made us successful in the first place, which was just building really, really great products. Let's talk about the new product, Eero Max 7. John, I know you you tried it as well. Did you get it set up? Yes, and excitedly had it set up and actually had the whole thing set up, I believe, in under 14 minutes. That's awesome. <laughs> Did you have a stopwatch out? It took me actually longer to unplug my old system and get all that taken out than it did to actually set up the new one. I wish I had more things that could take advantage of Wi-Fi 7. I have literally one phone that I can use for it right now. But I'm excited for more things to take advantage of it. Well, here's what's crazy about Wi-Fi 7 seems to be, at least in my view, the first new Wi-Fi version where I did see non-7 devices getting a benefit. So for example, my 6 and 6E devices, when I do those speed tests, they're faster. Obviously, I don't, I don't know if it's like just better range or what's happening, but my typical, like my, my iPhone 15 Pro, right? Wi-Fi 6E device on a Wi-Fi 6E network was getting roughly 400 up, 400 down, somewhere in there. Switching to the Wi-Fi 7 system, the best speed test I got was around 850 down and 1200 up. So I am I am curious because in previously it was always here's Wi-Fi 6 or here's Wi-Fi 6E. Your Wi-Fi 5 devices are not going to see any benefit here, but when you get those 6 or 6E devices, that's where you'll see the benefit and it feels like this is different. So Nick, can you kind of explain to us what's going on? Yeah. So when we looked at the Eero Max 7, we had a few different goals. One is we knew there was a wireless standard shift. And so we knew that was going to be an important part of the product. The other thing we wanted to do was we wanted to make like a new class of Eero that was really designed for multi-gigabit internet connections. So up to 10 gigabit connections. And with those two things as our goals, we basically built an Eero without compromise So we have super high performance radios for five and six gigahertz. We built an entirely new form factor, which allowed us to build a antenna array at the top of the device. And then we're also able to integrate 10 gigabit ethernet. So all of that is why you're starting to see some pretty phenomenal performance statistics from different devices in your home that very well might not be Wi-Fi 7 capable, but they're able to take advantage of a bunch of the new capabilities and features that we were able to deliver with that product. So the way we think about it is we've got this new max tier and 
It's our highest performance ERO, and we're really excited about packaging that level of performance and capability into a device and into a new ERO system. It's crazy because I feel like the holy grail of Wi-Fi has been, like, we always see, here's, you know, whether it's five, six, seven, here's the theoretical max, right? And it's always, you know, I think Wi-Fi 6 was like nine gigabits per second. You never see that. You, You will never see that in your speed test at home. Now we're getting speeds that are equal to or above, because I said my, my upload speed was 1200. That's faster than a wired gigabit network on Wi-Fi. No wires, just walking around your home. We're finally at a place where we're getting those gigabit or even above gigabit speeds that feel like they've been promised in the past through those best case scenarios of throughput. And now it's actually happening on top of the 10 gigabit ports and the 2.5 gigabit ports as well. Like there's nothing single gigabit about the Eero Max 7 at all. I guess my question there is, I know based on visiting the subreddit, again, going back to that and the, the community you guys have built, 10 gigabit or at least multi-gigabit ports have been something people have been asking for for a while. I think the last Eero, Eero 6E, there was like disappointment from some that there wasn't more of that. What did it take to get there? What did it take to get to where we are now? Was it Wi-Fi 7? Was it the proliferation of more multi-gigabit home internet connections? Was it both? Yeah, we like to build products that customers can actually use. Most customers have an option for multi-gigabit internet. So it might not be 10 gigabit, but it could be three, four, five gigabits. So that's what fundamentally changed. And we're also starting to see some more cost-optimized silicon that provides those capabilities. So you try to time your products so that customers can actually use them. And, you know, there are a bunch of things that were changing here, and we thought now was the right time to deliver a true up to 10 gigabit product for customers. And it it is kind of crazy. Like, you can now, with the Max 7 system, you can have multi-gigabit mesh links, And you can run your network, in some cases, faster over Wi-Fi than you can over a wired connection, especially if it's older wiring or the Ethernet switches that are running the network haven't been upgraded in a while. It's kind of crazy. Can we try to quantify that? I think people are going to listen to this and be like, well, you know, I get four or 500 down when I run it on Wi-Fi and I speed test, I get 200. You know, if I'm far away, I get 75. For people who are getting multi-gigs, let's say ideal scenario, someone's got 10, 10 gigabits fiber to their home. What type of degradation would they see in a, in a normal setup? They've got three units, 3,000 square foot home. I mean, what's the big differentiating factor here for them? Well, your limiting factor is almost always going to be the client device. So the phone, the laptop, tablet. If you're on Wi-Fi, like, yeah, getting a few hundred megabits a second up to maybe a gigabit, probably you start tapping out the maximum connection speed that that device can support. So if you have 10 gigabit fiber, if you want to get the full 10 gigabit experience, like you're going to need a device with a 10 gigabit Ethernet port. And there's plenty of devices that have that as an option. 
or you know you could buy a 10 gigabit ethernet adapter question i normally get is like why do you need a 10 gigabit internet connection <laughs> well a you have a lot more bandwidth and so every single device in your home can then consume the maximum bandwidth it's able to consume practically speaking though there's not like streaming content that requires 10 gigabit really it's about how can you have like a 50 to 100 gigabyte file feel like it's instantaneous and where we hear the most customer impact it's usually somebody downloading like a brand new franchise like PC or console game and you can snap your fingers and it's done in 45 seconds or a minute and a half versus, you know, an hour or two hours. So that's the primary benefit of a five or 10 gigabit internet connection is you can download some of those bigger files and it feels like it's instant. That's awesome. That is awesome. Are you still putting thread radios? Yeah. Every Eero product that we've shipped for quite some time all has a smart home chip in it that does Bluetooth for setup and then it does Zigbee and, and Thread. So yeah, you can go into your Eero app and you can turn on the Alexa Smart Home Hub, which then runs over Zigbee. It also opens up a Thread network. So if you have Thread compatible devices, they can connect directly to your Eero network. My point there was it's more than just your Wi-Fi network. You're also able to basically enhance controlling your smart home as well uh, with these devices, which is, which is fantastic. Eero Wi-Fi 7, available now, right? What's pricing looking like on these? The Max 7 starts at $699 for a single unit and goes up from there for two and three packs. Nick, we want to thank you for joining us on the show this weekend or this week. That was a great origin story. It's so unique and so different than what we typically talk about. I was genuinely excited to get the Wi-Fi 7 systems here in my house and to get things set up. Like John said, I think I have two or three Wi-Fi 7 devices, all of which I rarely use because they're all phones that I use my iPhone primarily and they're all Android phones. So there was the excitement of like the future and then seeing the speed test on the devices that I do use and how much faster things were. It was awesome. I feel like Wi-Fi is the oil in an engine, right? You don't always think about it, but when it's not there, you're like very aware that it's not. And for folks out there that want to make sure their engines are running smoothly, and if something happens, make sure they can work on their engines themselves. I mean, the Eero is really the first and, and probably only place you should be looking right now. Absolutely. I agree. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.